NFL Week 16 line moves. Suma, as we look at the Week 16 card, a lot of people talking about that letdown narrative involving a few teams involved in some wild games from Week 15. The Colts and the Patriots found pretty creative ways to suffer some devastating losses. And on the other side of that same coin, teams like the Vikings and Raiders benefiting from those big late swings against the Colts and Patriots, respectively, have some big highs to come down from. When it comes to the letdown narrative across much of the betting sports media verse, how do you quantify it, if at all, in your betting process? I would say that a few years ago, let's say 2014, 15, 16, um, it was easier to talk about, um, let's say, situational handicapping or situational sports because back then, sometimes they were not I would call it perfectly priced in. So um, let's say in 2014 to 2015, it would have been easier to find undervalued or overvalued, let's call it letdown spot or letdown spots or, or something like that. I think that the market has been getting a lot sharper um, in the sense that at some point, I think that it was hard to find um, any decent situational um, angles when it comes to whether they are not pressed in or factored in into the marketplace. So nowadays, um, it's it's very hard, in my opinion, to argue with like bold narratively um, situational angles because that stuff is either pressed into the market or meaningless. All right, well, let's see if we can find some meaning when it comes to the Week 16 card, starting with the first of many games with some pretty substantial movement already in the betting cycle. Kicking off Christmas Eve, early on in the day, we've got the Saints traveling to the Browns. Total in this one, open 35 and a half, and that has plummeted down, currently 32 and a half, so not even as low as it had gotten previously. Suma, got to think the weather is the story driving this one. Anything else to read into the pounding under money that has come in when it comes to Saints-Browns? Um, yeah, so um, I read that wrong when I uh, updated the our show notes. It's actually 31 and a half at Circa in Las Vegas right now. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, 32 and a half or 31 and a half. It would be the lowest total for an NFL game since 2008. And back then it was also a Browns game. Um, that time the Browns were hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. So we have to go back um, over 14 years to find a total in the low 30s, which is pretty insane. Um, and, and the reason is entirely... Uh, weather related uh, we are currently looking at minus 14 degrees celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit i would need to uh, look that up um we are looking at 25 plus more like 30 plus uh, sustained miles per hours of wind and gusts in the 50 range so do you guys remember the Bills patriots game from last year oh tough to forget that one yeah Classic. Think about that game with a little bit more wind and 
a much colder uh, environment. Like that was um, 0 to 2 degrees Celsius, and now we are looking at minus 14. So it's basically the, the Bills-Patriots game, but even colder, and it might also snow during the game. So crazy weather game. I think we are at a point where we might not know whether they really play on Sunday because there are also some weather warnings in the area. But um, yeah, pretty pretty crazy uh, game. Um, even if they really play, it will be fascinating to watch how these offenses approach the game. I would probably not um, think too much about throwing the ball in that game. It will be like a typical wind, grind out, run the ball type of game. It's tough to imagine anybody even showing up to that game if they do play it as scheduled. Suma, you've mentioned minus 14 Celsius. That translates to just a tick under 7 degrees Fahrenheit. Looks like 6.8 would be the exact translation I'm getting Googling this in real time. 7 degrees with that kind of wind and possibly some snow just sounds absolutely brutal. So it would be fun to watch, uh, but might be some empty seats in the stands if they do go ahead and play this one as scheduled. And it seems like the weather is going to be a factor across much of the market. I'm wondering what you think, Suma, of the next game we'll touch on. Detroit at Carolina. We've seen this total actually tick up from 43.5 to 44.5. On the side, we've also seen some movement. Detroit minus 3, down just a hair. Lions currently laying 2.5, still juiced heavily in their favor at minus 120. Anything to read into the market initially moving a touch on the Panthers and a pretty significant tick of a full point through the 44 over under currently at 44 and a half. Yes, Panthers Lions is another cold game, but I think it's in this in the same ballpark as the Lions played last week at New York and I don't think that their offense was significantly um handcuffed because of the weather. They look kind of good. They just played against a great defense. Um yeah, White as you were talking, Matt, there was another wave of Lions money pushing it to a flat minus 3 at circa. And I think this is the right number because what have the Carolina Panthers have done recently when you think about it? They had one good game against a bad Seahawks defense that was missing both defensive tackles. Uh, the Seahawks could not stop the run in that game and the Panthers basically did nothing special uh, except for um, catching two interceptions and um, running the ball for like six yards per carry. So... Um, they came down to earth pretty hard against the Steelers last week. And on the other side, we have the Lions with a great offense, with a defense that has been progressing. And I, th I think it's it's hard to make a very good case for why the Panthers should not, lay, uh, should not give a field goal to the Detroit Lions. I think as soon as, the, uh, as, as there is a, another wave of Panthers money, I could see some potential buy point being at plus three for some folks in the betting markets for the pandas. But um, even if they pound it back at plus three, I would also expect um, money for Detroit um, bringing that back towards three. So maybe we are going to balance out between um, a, a soft minus two and a half and a minus three. But I would also not be surprised if maybe the Lions go towards minus three, minus 120 or something like that. All right, so sounds like the roar continues to get restored across much of the betting market. And Sumo, when it comes to the total in this one, seeing 44s at some books, 44 and a half at much of the sharper books, 
Do you think this one has room to move up, even though it sounds like it's going to be quite cold in Carolina and Jared Goff and the elements over the course of his career hasn't exactly been a recipe for scoreboard explosions? Um, it definitely has not, but um, I also think that some of the cold weather games were against very good defenses. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering the, the, the 2018 game against the number one Bears defense, for example. He had a few tough games, uh, I think, against the Niners on the road, but I, but I can't imagine that that was extremely cold. However, um, I think this is a different situation. Yes, the cold weather might have an impact on the Dome team, but I think it's generally overblown and too narratively to come up with stories from like 2018, uh, 2019 about Jared Goff, who's playing in a phenomenal offense with great receivers, with a top five offensive line, great play caller. I think this is completely different right now. Um, the Lions are expected to put up points against the Panthers. But on the other side, the Panthers' ha offense has shown some life. I think that any offense with Sam Darnold um, is not going to be good, and they might be a little bit overvalued right now. But I also think that there is a path for the Panthers to put up some points against the Lions. All right, so far we have dispelled the letdown narrative, the Jared Goff and cold weather narrative. We'll see which other narratives we can take on as we work our way further through the Week 16 card. Another Christmas Eve early window game, Houston at Tennessee. This one we've seen the Texans see some money from an opener of plus seven down to plus five. Total has seen some under action, 39 and a half at open down to 37. God, I think this is related to some concerns about Ryan Tannehill's availability or even if he goes, how close he'll be to 100%. I'm not a doctor, but I have seen so many ankle sprains right now that um, one of my guesses is that he's got a medium to high inversion ankle sprain. And he had two before. He had that high ankle sprain earlier in the season in like week six or something. And then he re-aggravated it a little bit um, at a later point. So this is the, the I think, basically the third ankle sprain of the season. He came back uh, with his ankle being heavily taped. He didn't look really good. He got uh, almost killed back there behind that offensive line. And there were some rumors today, some tweets, that it might be a stretch for him to play this week, which would indicate that we would see the third start of the season from Malik Willis. And that's why we saw the market catching up to that, basically bringing down the spread from seven to five and the uh, total from 39 and a half to 38 and then another wave of money to 37. And we are even looking at um, Chris number that is hanging around 36 and a half minus 115 to the over. Seems like more often than not, totals are in the 30s this week. It's tough to see anything even get too much into the 40s for a lot of these games. But let's talk about a side zoom as we move on to the late window on Saturday when most of the action is taking place with Christmas falling on a Sunday this year. That Saturday late window, we will touch on Washington, San Francisco. Washington has seen a bit of money after opening plus seven and a half. This one is now lined at seven pretty much across the board. Suma. Washington got a pretty raw deal, you could argue, in multiple ways in the end game against the Giants on Sunday night. But the Niners also looked pretty solid on Thursday night. So what do you make of the initial market move on Washington, bringing this one down to a flat seven? It's tough to think that the market is very confident in that 
commander's team also in that commander's offense um, going toe-to-toe -to -toe on the road on the road with brock purdy i i could imagine that this was entirely a play on the early number getting the hook but i would be a little bit surprised if we saw a minus six and a half showing for the niners because they are the superior team the commander's defense is is um, relying entirely on their front for stopping the run and getting pressure. Their pass defense overall is not great. And their offense is basically um, Taylor Heineke hitting a few big plays down the field, uh, sandwiched by some turnover-worthy turnover uh, plays. So I don't think... Well, it, it's hard to imagine that the market has high enough confidence in the commanders in this matchup against the 49ers on the road. So I would be surprised if we saw anything in the marketplace going towards six and a half. I think this is going to bounce around a little bit between seven and seven and a half. Speaking of lines headed towards six and a half, Eagles Cowboys, we saw this one appearing to head towards six and a half before reversing a bit recently. Dallas opened a two-point favorite with the Jalen Hurts news. They got up to minus six, and then we've seen some market resistance at that point. Dallas now laying five and a half, hosting the Eagles on Saturday. The total has also been affected by the Eagles quarterback situation. An opener of 50 and a half, down to 46 and a half. <coughs> Suma, obviously Jalen Hurts is the X factor in this one. It might as well be the X, Y, and Z factor. But is there anything else that you think has driven the market move in favor of the Cowboys and the under? So I don't know whether you guys have followed the market movement yesterday on, on this game. Jacob is nigging. Um, this was so funny because the entire betting market has been moving off of some inside information that Jen Hertz uh, is not going to play and like nobody in the media was able to report it. This was so funny to watch. Here's the timeline. At around 2 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern time, there was information uh, information coming from a few sources that Jalen Hurts is going to be out this week because of a shoulder issue. At that point, there were some soft minus two and a halves, some minus three, uh, minus one hundreds on the Cowboys. Those were available and those got uh, mostly eaten up around that time. Uh, with the early uh, wave of um, of the information stream, then it took around another um, one and a half hours towards three fifty p.m. in the afternoon, and that was when Circa moved towards minus three and a half. Then at four p.m. Eastern time, they moved to minus five. Still nothing out there, nothing in the media, no beat reporter, no rap sheet, no one was reporting anything. And then at 4.20 p.m., like two hours um, after the, 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 the betting market had the first stream of information, Adam Schefter finally, finally tweeted out that Jalen Hurts um, is uncertain to blame. And then we saw another tick towards minus six. But the whole move from minus two and a half towards minus five at Circa across the entire betting market was without any public information from any beat reporter. It was entirely the the betting market telling us uh, who is going to start uh, this week. Very fun to watch. Um, tells you everything you need to know every time you want to have an, an objective opinion about your favorite football team. Just look at the betting market and that uh, will always be the 
most reliable, not the perfect, but the most reliable source of, of information and how to judge your own team. And that was a perfect um, example yesterday. What are you? Yeah. Um, then today we got some Eagles money um, driving that back from six towards five and a half. There was the news that Dallas Goddard is coming off IR and he's expected to play. I think that has that had something to do because he's a top five tight end. Now we are sitting in that area of five and a half and there were some rumors today because Jalen Hurts had a presser saying that he's um, doing everything he can to play this week. But I think this is more, more of a trap. I think uh, that the information was too strong about him being out. And there's really no incentive, in my opinion, for the, for the Eagles to risk um, any, any kind of injury for him um, when it comes to the playoffs. They need one more game, one more win, or one more Cowboys loss. So I'm just not seeing it. When it comes to Hertz likely being out, being the focal point of the market movement we've seen thus far, I know some buyback on the Eagles might figure, hey, obviously it's a downgrade going to Gardner Minshew, but perhaps not that big of a downgrade once we were talking about minus six across the board. One thing I wonder is beyond Jalen Hurts, if the Eagles sit him out in this one, you mentioned you know Goddard making perhaps an important return. But I do wonder if the rest of the Eagles, you know, if anybody's on the fence about playing, if they just hold guys out or if they put guys on snap counts, there might be a trickle-down effect beyond the Jalen Hurts status in a vacuum. Do you think that might limit any upside to people jumping in on the Eagles buyback at plus six? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think that with Hurts, this number would have been around a pick him, a Cowboys minus one maybe. Um and now we are looking at the downgrade with um, Dallas Goddard in and with the possibility of maybe some more Eagles players getting rested, we don't know. I think it would be a great opportunity for them to rest some players because, yes, the, the casual fan will say that, oh, you cannot lay down against um, the Cowboys in that great rivalry game. But I think from a business perspective, um, if you're if you're already taking out your, your 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 MVP candidate quarterback, I think it might make sense to maybe rest some players later in the game. Maybe if, if the Cowboys are scoring too many points early on, there, there might be a scenario. So I think that is the potential downside for any Eagles backers. Um, but I think that <clears throat> when it comes um, to um, rating these two teams with Gardner Minshew in the formation, I think anything around six is probably a good range to look at. Well, it's going to be a recurring theme with the quarterback carousel because as we move on to the nightcap on Christmas Eve, the Raiders at the Steelers, seeing some recent news encouraging in terms of Steelers backers with Kenny Pickett likely back under center, and that has played a role in driving this line up from an opener of Steelers minus two to a flat minus three at Circa and some of the sharper books in the market. Suma, anything else besides picket status? What do you make of this move on the Steelers now laying a field goal over the Raiders at home on Christmas Eve? Clearly the better team. And now we can talk about another narrative because Derek Carr in the cold, uh, that has never been a great reset for success and it's going to be really cold um, for the... Uh, Steelers Raiders game. Let me quickly check the, the temperature. We are looking at 12 degrees Fahrenheit and um, the the apparent temperature is going to be much lower. So it's going to be a very, very cold game. 
uh, dome team for the Raiders outside. Um, that's also a great narrative. But I also think that the Steelers are, from top to bottom, the better team. They are at home in in those um, crazy weather conditions. I think when you adjust the defensive efficiency numbers for the Steelers for when J.J. Watt was on the field, it, it looks even better um, um, over the course of the season. And I think this might be a classic bounce game between three and a soft minus two and a half going forward. So it sounds like we're dispelling the Jared Goff and the elements narrative, but perhaps a little bit more buy-in when it comes to Derek Carr and what he's got in store this weekend. Uh, yes. Uh, at least it's going to be much colder for Derek Carr. <laughs> so f- for Jared Goff, it's going to be 20, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's cold. But for Derek Carr, it might be really, really cold. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's talk about some Christmas Day action. Not going to be as cold as it would be in a Packers home game. They are traveling to Miami, where it's probably going to be a brisk 55 or so in Florida. So it won't feel too wintry in that one. But the side has seen some movement. The Packers opened plus five, got up to plus six. And then there's been some pushback the other way. Now looking at Green Bay, plus four and a half. Sumo, what do you make of the two-way action we've seen so far on the side in this one between the Packers and the Dolphins? I think the the move um, on the side and the total, the total is now at 49.5. The overnight to- total at Circa in Las Vegas was 46.5. And, and then it got raised. Basically, I call it a reopened across the market at around 47, 48. And since then, it was one way over money towards 49.5. Packers down to four and a half. And I think these two moves are correlated because this matchup on, on, on the surface seems to be rather high scoring. The Packers since week 10 rank third in offensive DBA and 24th in defensive DBA. The Dolphins, not a great pass defense, but a decent offense that is coming home from a a three-week road trip. So we have a matchup that shapes up to, to feature two good offenses, two bad uh, defenses, and a Packers team that has gotten much better in recent weeks. And I think that would be my best explanation as to why we are looking at a storm of um, Packers and over money today. The Packers still have a pulse. It seems like the market had pretty much left them for dead a couple weeks ago. Still alive for a playoff spot, but unfortunately, one of those spots going to have to go to a division that evidently nobody wants to win when we're talking NFC South and Tampa Bay would be the favorite to claim that division crown, possibly take a playoff spot that would be more deserved by Green Bay. But Tampa Bay on its quest to perhaps win the NFC South with a losing record, going to be taking on Arizona in Arizona on Christmas. The Bucks open minus five up to minus six. Suma, anything beyond the news of Trace McSorley likely being under center for Arizona driving this move pro Tampa Bay money in the early week betting market? Plain and simple, I think the Cardinals are completely dead. They are a dead team to me. Uh, There is no life whatsoever. It's going to be Trace McSorley behind maybe four backup offensive linemen. Some key players on defense are out, like Zach Allen, um, they're banged up at cornerback, and like I said, there's there's really no life in that team playing against a Todd Balls defense that is rather healthy. Um, it's a terrible matchup for the Cardinals offense. And then on the other side, I think that the Bucks they have shown us some life, 
Yes, they had some stupid turnovers against a much better defense with a much better, uh, or let's say with a really smart defensive coordinator who always makes clever adjustments um, at halftime. But the Bucks at least have shown us some life against the Bengals. They are playing for a, um, a home for a home game in the wild card round. That is usually overblown when it comes to the betting markets, but um, this move is telling us Bucks clearly the better team against a dead Cardinals team that is starting Trace McSorley behind a backup offensive line. All right. Well, speaking of dead teams, the Indianapolis Colts, fresh off of blowing the biggest lead in NFL history, hosting the Chargers on Monday Night Football. Chargers open minus three. That's up to minus four. Jonathan Taylor likely out for this season. That could be a huge factor with the Colts losing a big edge against a porous Chargers run defense. But Sumo, we're still looking at Jeff Saturday against Joe Lombardi. Kind of feels like the unstoppable force taking on the immovable object. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point made. Um, but uh, what have the Colts done? Um, since that game against the Raiders, um, they had a close game against the Eagles. Then they um, got extremely outplayed um, by the Steelers. They took a 50 burger on primetime um, at Dallas. And then they gave up the biggest lead in NFL history coming out of the bye week. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, it's almost like that, you should hire a coach to be your head coach instead of somebody out of the studios at ESPN. Very good point. Yeah, I completely agree. And now the Chargers. Um, I have a lot of reservations about the Chargers, but um, I, ju I just don't see how the Colts offense, potentially with Nick Foles, is going to be as competitive uh, as competitive to go into a showdown with Justin Herbert. The Chargers defense is, has been playing much better lately. There's a small chance they get Durbin James and Joey Bosa back, and then I just don't see how the Colts offense does anything in that matchup. And on the other side, there are some reservations and there are some limitations for the Chargers offense, especially when it comes to the um, offensive coordinator position. But they should have two many or, or let's say enough matchup advantages to um, somehow get a win and the market has been telling us that they should be favored by more than three on the road and I think it's hard to disagree with that I will keep my fingers crossed as a Chargers fan that the market is right on that one Suma that takes us through nine games more than half of the week 16 card already seeing some pretty big movement this week as we touch on Fabian's forecast Anything from these nine games that we've already discussed or perhaps one of the seven that we haven't touched on yet that you are keeping a particularly close eye on from a market reading standpoint for the rest of the week? I would not be surprised if we saw a little bit more Broncos money later in the week because we have some um, positive injury, injury upside for them. They could get Russell Wilson back. I think Russell Wilson got cleared on Friday last week, but they held him out. So the expectation is that Russell Wilson is going to play this week. I think there are little reasons for him not to play. They could also get uh, Kirtland Sutton back. And that offense found some life recently. They have been running the ball pretty well. The passing game also looked um, kind of much improved against the Chiefs with Russell Wilson two weeks ago. And on the other side, we are talking about the Rams team that is now completely out of playoff contention, possibly another dead team. 
I don't see any reason for Aaron Donald to suit up this week, even if he's healthy enough to play off his high ankle sprain. Uh, Baker Mayfield behind that offensive line, not a great reserve against that uh, Broncos um, passing defense. So I think there's a chance this might get to minus three later in the week if we see positive injury news coming um, from the charter uh, from the from the Denver Broncos. And while that game is taking place on a Christmas day between the Broncos and the Rams, the hops likely going to be in hand for the three of us as the between the lines crew. Jacob, we'll kick it off with you as usual. Tell us about your quest at a Christmas market this past weekend for the drink of the past month on this show, apparently, Gluvine. Yeah, so obviously going into this Christmas market, I was pretty confident that they would have like mold wine, glue vine available for purchase. And about like an hour into it, I finally saw a sign. So I went in to go try it out. Uh, to preface, like, I'm not a, I'm definitely not a wine person, so I wasn't very much expecting to enjoy it. But I would say it was better than expected to be. Uh, a bit of like the sort of bitterness and tartness of the wine that maybe I don't like was kind of taken away by the the additional ingredients involved and it being served yeah. hot rather than cold. So I enjoyed it definitely more than I expected it to. That being said, I don't imagine that a Canadian Christmas market was really providing the most authentic experience with it. But as a, a first experience overall, um, it's not something that I would buy all the time, but like, you know, maybe once a year just for the holiday period. It, it's something that I would definitely try again. Maybe a little bit like the Atlanta Falcons last week. Low expectations. They didn't set the world on fire, but they did cover the spread. So by definition, still better than expected. That's that's a perfect description for it. Yes. Good All right. Glue well, wines, uh, win great glue wines cover. Yeah. All right. I am going to break up the run on glue vine by touching on beer, putting the hops back in the hops segment uh, appropriately enough and go to one of my favorite breweries in L.A. called Highland Park Brewery. This past weekend, they did a themed weekend celebration around their flagship West Coast IPA called Hello L.A., and that included, for the first time, a can release, as well as a draft release, of Double Dry Hop Hello L.A. This is a Double Dry Hop West Coast IPA with Citra and Mosaic, clocking in at 6.8% ABV. I knew from the flagship version that is so good. This was going to be citrusy, tropical, really well balanced. It just hit all the right notes. So uh, hopefully some more good double dry hopped West Coast IPAs to come from an IPA powerhouse, Highland Park Brewery out in my neck of the woods. Suma, I think we're going to pivot right back to the glue vine in your neck of the woods because based on our Telegram chat, you had a white wine version this past weekend. And I'm curious how that compares to what I believe is the more standard red wine take on the drink. I think that white wine is equally good and depending on which kind of uh, white wine you will get, it's, at least in my opinion, even better than, than the than the red version. I bought a bottle of um, Nuremberg Christkindle uh, white blue wine this week and, and I was also on another um, Christmas market on Saturday where I got some uh, mold wine which was also white which was extremely good, which was from the region that is called uh, Mosel, a classic Mosel wine uh, um, out, out of Germany, classic wine region. And it was fantastic. I had, I think, four or five. Um, I was... And then you didn't uh, drive? Pretty good. <laughs> I did not drive. I would not have been able to drive. Um, but yeah, it, it was very great. And um, I can recommend to anyone who 
visits another Christmas market until Christmas. Christmas try to get a a glue wine. All right. Well, I, I'm getting some FOMO now. Even though similar to Jacob, I wouldn't have the highest of expectations. The curiosity is getting to me, and it would be a really fun experience. So I'll see what I can do in the next few days. But for now, we're going to head and close up shop with this episode of Between the Lines. To everybody tuning in, if you're not doing so already, cannot recommend highly enough that you follow Suma on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And you can also find me there at MLandis18. Thanks to everybody for tuning into this episode. Jacob and I will be back on Friday with the Hitman for our NFL Week 16 Prop Betting Breakdown. All right. All right.